0: As I prepared this sermon, I was reminded of a story that a close friend told me several years ago. My friend, this friend who shared this story with me, is a preacher, and on one Sunday morning he was standing in the pulpit giving his sermon, and he's preaching, and he's looking out over his audience, and he sees in the back pew, the very last pew, his wife, struggling to wrangle his three young sons, all of whom are under eight years old. As he preached, he saw them crawling away from her, crawling under the pews, disturbing everyone else in church, just generally making a ruckus while he's trying to preach. And after a few minutes of this, sort of watching that happening while trying to preach, he starts to notice that other people in the congregation are becoming bothered by what's happening in the back. And finally, he hears someone Whisper loud enough for everyone to hear, Where is those children's father? <laughs> now I was reminded of that story because a couple of weeks ago, as I mentioned before, John O. O'Leinbaugh was with you and preached a wonderful sermon on Second John. And in order to give context and sort of explain what was going on in Second John, which is only thirteen verses long. John O basically had to preach on 1 John, which is my assignment tonight. Now, what sense does it make to have 2 John come before 1 John? I was going to say, who organized this sermon series? And then I realized he's sitting right over there. <laughs> so, back to 1 John. As you'll remember from John O's wonderful sermon a few weeks ago, John is writing to a community that has endured a period of false teaching. There has been teaching about Jesus, but these new teachers are teaching that Jesus never really came in the flesh, that he was either a ghost or a vision or a spirit, that he was never really here. And John is writing these three epistles, three letters, to try to combat this teaching. And he begins this letter, 1 John, by calling Jesus, not only the word of life, but the word of life which we have seen with our eyes and touched with our hands. John is really interested in proclaiming uh, proclaiming a Jesus who really came, who really lived, who really ate who was really born, who really had to go to the bathroom, who really scuffed his knees, who really did all the stuff that you and I do, a real Jesus who really lived. And it's my hope tonight to say a little bit about why that's so important and why it's good news. John says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. I'm going to say that one more time. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Does anybody here watch The Amazing Race? I knew it. I get, wait, none? Zero? One? Okay. I knew that almost nobody would. And I haven't in years, but just by the way, it's one of the most popular shows on TV. It always wins the, the, the ratings wars, has a ton of Emmys, but of course no one here watches it. Uh, for all of you, like me, who are too good for reality TV, The Amazing Race features teams of two sort of following clues in this race all around the world, and the winning team gets a million dollars. Now, as I said, I haven't watched it in years. But I'll never forget this one thing that happened on The Amazing Race all these years ago. This team, a boyfriend and a girlfriend named uh, Ron and Kelly, was competing on the race, and one morning, they sort of interview them, right, just as they roll out of their tent on the African savanna, and they're interviewing Kelly, the girlfriend, and she says, when I woke up this morning, I decided that I wanted to be a good girlfriend to Ron today. So what I did was, I opened up my Bible to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, which you're all familiar with, and I inserted my name in place of the word love. She says, Kelly is patient, Kelly is kind, and so on. And she said she was going to try to be those things to Ron on that day. Now, the amazing race, for the 99% of you who haven't seen it, can get a little bit intense. You're sort of trying to win this money, and you're trying to rush for planes, and you feel like your partner is holding you back, and it's just a really easy situation to get annoyed with somebody else. And along the way, during that day, things got a little tense, and at one point near the end of the day, Kelly ended up getting annoyed with Ron and calling him a redneck piece of trash. Now... This, of course, is in front of the same millions of people on national television to whom she just said she was going to embody love through the love chapter. Kelly is patient. Kelly is kind. But Ron is a redneck piece of trash. Now, I'm not from the South. Not really. But Ron is. And judging from his reaction, I don't think that redneck piece of trash was received as an expression of love. And as I watched this episode of this TV show, and I saw those words come out of Kelly's mouth, this woman who had pledged that morning to be a great Christian example, a great paragon of love to her partner on that day, as I watched those words come out of her mouth, my first thought was, oh no, what a terrible... Christian example. She told everyone she was reading the Bible, and now she's saying this awful, awful thing. But I want you all to remember Kelly from The Amazing Race, because though she may not be a great Christian example, she is a perfect example of a Christian. Though she may not be a great Christian example, she is a perfect example example of a Christian. Kelly's problem is a beautiful picture of the human problem. Her plan was great. Embody love today. After all, didn't John say, if you don't love, you don't know God? Because God is love. She knew that anyone who doesn't love doesn't know God, and so she decided, To love. And she did the next best thing, too. She went to the Bible to find out how to love. She's two for two. She read the love chapter and she thought, that's what love looks like, and so that's what I'll do. Kelly wanted to love Ron that day. But then Kelly couldn't hold to her plan. Her heart was in the right place. The exact right place. But she couldn't follow through. And that is the perfect description of a Christian, of me, perhaps of you. I was a junior at the University of Arizona when Britney Spears became a thing. I remember specifically because there was a rumor going around U of A where I went, that she was going to be a student at ASU, Arizona State, up in Phoenix. is was only an hour and a half away, which meant we all had a chance. Now, I'm sure there was a similar rumor at ASU that Brittany was going to be at U of A, and they all thought they had a chance. I- I'm pretty sure she never went to either school. If she had, of course, my life and hers might be very different right now. <laughs> I remember, though, that Even though she was this total sex symbol... I mean, have you ever seen the Oops, I Did It Again video? She's wearing, like, red spandex and is on Mars. I mean, how does it go? I'm not that innocent, right? I'm not that innocent. Anyway, she's this total sex symbol, but she's quoted as saying that not only is she a Christian, her plan is to save herself sexually... For marriage. So, in my little sort of Christian group in school, she becomes our instant hero because we can sort of like her, but it's pure at the same time, right? She was our hero for a minute. And then it came out that she had had sex with Justin Timberlake. It was Timberlake, of course, who bragged about it after they broke up. What a cad. And when some awful Entertainment reporter finally got to her and asked her why this had happened She said that she'd thought he was going to be the one Who she'd marry She said She'd messed up she apologized and we all immediately thought well I guess she wasn't that good a christian after all And kelly from the amazing race and britney spears had a problem. We have a problem. Our plan is great. We know what we're supposed to do, love, and we want to do it. Who doesn't want to love? We all want to love and to be loved. We read the love chapter to show us how, but we can't hold to our plan. Life happens. Our human nature trips us up. We are unkind to the people we work with. We are angry at friends and hateful toward enemies. Kelly reads the words, Anyone who does not love does not know God as a warning. And isn't that how you heard it this evening? Anyone who does not love does not know God. She reads that, and she thinks, I'd better love. And we think the same thing. Now this is the kind of thinking, this is the exact kind of thinking that prompted John to write these letters. Remember, the main point that John is making over the course of these three epistles is that Jesus Christ really came in the flesh. It wasn't pretend. He wasn't a ghost. He was here. He lived, he died, he rose again. Because listen, if he didn't really come, then Kelly from The Amazing Race, Brittany Spears, you and I have an even bigger problem than we ever thought. Because our lack of love is going to keep us from getting to God. And if Jesus didn't come, that's the only way we have to get there. But this is the good news. Jesus did really come from heaven to earth. He lived, he died, he rose again. He lived the perfect life that we can never live. He died the criminal's death that we deserve. He was raised to new life to guarantee our place in God's heavenly kingdom forever. And if we read verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God as I'd better love, if we hear that as a condition, if we hear that as a requirement, it's as though we're forgetting that Jesus really came, that he came here to us and for us. We're forgetting that Jesus actually bridged the gap between us and God, that loveless gap. He came here for real. He loved when we didn't. He loved us when we only cared about ourselves. We're like if we're like Kelly from The Amazing Race or like Britney Spears with a good plan that we just can't hold to, and if we read this verse, whoever does not love does not know God as a standard, it crushes us. Who can live under the weight of whoever does not love does not know God. It makes us wonder if we're Christians at all. I feel so defeated when I look at my life and realize how little I love. It happens from time to time. It shocks even me. It's a miracle, a bolt out of the blue, when I actually find myself loving someone without requiring something in return. Love is so precious because it is so rare. We read this as a standard, and it crushes us. The truth is, these words, anyone that does not love does not know God, is not intended to be a standard for you to to, to live up to. It's a description of who you are. You who do not love do not know God. You're forgetting that God came to you for real here in this place. It describes us. We don't love. But thank God, he offers us so much more than standards. And this, my friends, is the beauty of the gospel. Since we don't love, God does it Himself. Verse 10: In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now there's a $3 word. Propitiation. It refers to something that reconciles one person back to someone who has a grievance with them. If there's something between you and me, and something is offered to take that grievance away, that thing is called propitiation. It takes the grievance and restores the relationship. God has a grievance with us. We don't love. But the reason that God is love is that He loves those who don't love. And He offers His Son as a propitiation for their sins. That word, propitiation, demands that we read verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love as a sobering description of the Christian life rather than as a standard for us to live up to. Propitiation is the thing that makes being a Christian less about trying to live up to the standards we find in Scripture and more about being a person who realizes the amazing and complete work of Christ on the cross. Imagine if... When Britney Spears was interviewed after sleeping with Justin Timberlake, she hadn't said, well, I thought he was the man I was going to marry. What if she'd said, I'm a Christian and I'm a sinner. Thank God. I know that God has a high standard for me and I blew it. I fell short of his standard. Thank God that his son, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for my sins I mean there's no more wow than that messing up with Justin Timberlake didn't mean that she wasn't a Christian after all it didn't even mean that she was a terrible Christian example it meant of course that she was the perfect example of a Christian someone in desperate need of a savior for goodness sakes her song is called oops I did it again it's a cry for help we are all like Brittany, unholy people, desperate for something to reconcile us to a holy God. Like Kelly on The Amazing Race and like Brittany Spears, we can't hold to our good plans despite our effort. Our lives spin out of control and we need a better answer then try harder. We need a better answer than maybe next time. We need a better answer than, come on. We need something better. And praise God, we have a better answer. We have a Savior who came to us for real without waiting for us to get to Him. We have a Christ who loved us while we didn't love anyone. We have a Savior who bridged the gap between us and God really coming here to this place to live and die and rise again to rescue us from our sin. We have propitiation. The grievance between God and us has been taken away forever the propitiation of Jesus Christ who gave us his righteousness while we were not righteous, who loved when we did not love, makes this real. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him.